What's up there, good peoples? Cameron Northley, Century 21, All Points Realty. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to hear what I've got to say. If you haven't done so already, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whichever podcast platform you are listening to this on. Whether it is Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or any other major podcasting platform. Leaving a rating and a review lets the platform know that there is quality content going forth here on the Cameron Northley podcast. They will then share the podcast with more people and I would certainly appreciate that. Also, if you're not following me on my social media channels, you are missing out. I put out content that is beneficial to local real estate investors here in Connecticut. And if you're a real estate investor, you don't want to miss out on that. So make sure you're following me on Facebook. You can look me up, Cameron Northley, the investor realtor. Instagram is at Cameron Northley. And YouTube is youtube.com slash Cameron Norfleet. If you are one of my regular listeners, you may remember that back on show episode number 31, I mentioned that on the last Wednesday of every month, I was going to be doing a market update or a market review. Um, well, I changed my mind. So I'm not doing that on the last Wednesday of every month. I'm going to do that on the first Wednesday of every month. It just kind of makes more sense. Um, to kind of talk about what, uh, you know, give a whole picture, the, the full picture of what transpired uh, on the month prior. So that's what I'm going to be doing from here on out. Um, at least that's the plan. But look forward to that next week. I will be doing a market and review for the month of July. But today, today we have an excellent, excellent podcast episode for you. Uh, a lot of gem dropping going on today. We have Mr. Ron Farachi. Ron Farachi is a local real estate investor here in the state of Connecticut. He owns about 100 units and he also is the owner of CT Rhea. CT Rhea is the Connecticut Real Estate Investors Association. So he's got a lot to say. He's got a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, and he's dropping a lot of gems that you can really learn from. I actually learned a whole lot in this uh, in this podcast episode. So I'm really excited about uh, about you hearing what he has to say today. All right. So that's enough of that. Without further ado, let's get into the interview. And we are on. How are you today? I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Tell everybody, who are you? What do you do? And how did you get into it? Uh, I'm a local guy. Uh, grew up in Portland, Connecticut. Spent some years in Alaska uh, after high school and quite a few years, actually. Uh, I'm just a local, normal guy. Uh, nothing special. I wish I was, in fact. Uh, <laughs> high school educated. Uh, Got into real estate, uh, rental real estate specifically, uh, about 2010 or so, when uh, 2009, when the economy started tanking, I kind of viewed that as a, you know, my opportunity to, to never work again, if I'm being totally mm -hmm. honest. I just didn't want to have a job anymore, but I needed to generate income. And my thinking was that if a lot of people got together on the first of the month to give me a third of their income, well, that, that could be the way I could pay my bills. <laughs> Why <laughs> so, not, right? <laughs> It's nothing sexier than that. I wish it was. I hear you. I hear you. Um, so how long have you been doing it? So I, I started uh, in 2000, I, I think it was 2009, um, okay. maybe 08, but right when That's things- That's when you picked up your first property? Yeah, yeah. So uh, which surprises a lot of people. You know, my, my wife and I own quite a few properties and, and you know, people think, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years. I haven't. Uh, prior to that, you know, again, I, I grew up in Portland, Connecticut, just a high school guy painting houses, and, you know, in my early 20s uh, for cash, you know, just working for somebody else. Right. I uh, got a lucky break. I moved to, uh, my wife and I moved to Los Angeles, California, and I just, right place, right time, 
uh, pure luck, no skill, uh, ended up going to work for uh, one of the co-founders of the Home Depot uh, for years, just as a sales guy, nothing special. And he sort of took me under his wing and, and, and taught me some lessons about money that, that really resonated with a guy like me. You know, when you live in amongst all that wealth, which uh, you can't partake in any of it, you know, I don't have the right education, intelligence, friends, contacts, money, whatever. And mm. I, I was taught a different way and how to view it all. And so I, I, I really bought into that. And so much so, in fact, I, I convinced my wife to, hey, you know, let's, let's leave paradise, which was Orange County, California. Nice. Um, and, and it was, I mean, it's beautiful, but it's, you know, mm. you're not a billionaire, you're just not the club you know, right. and, and I'm certainly not still, still I'm not, but, you know, I, I just thought, you know, I, I wanted to create passive income so I didn't have to trade dollars for hours. And that was gotcha. as simple as it is. And how can I do that? What he tried to teach me was start a business that generates passive income so you can go do the things you want to do before you die. <laughs> you know, right. And, right. and <laughs> I'm not so much a businessman. Uh, I've had a lot of, successful businesses. I've had a lot of failures, tons of failures, by the way. Um, and I applied what I learned from him in California to apartments here in Connecticut. So we moved back here in, oh gosh, Cameron, I want to say about 2005. Okay. Uh, I uh, took a job with a company uh, called Hubble, a big, big company. And when the economy started tanking, I saw that as my opportunity. So I quit my job, right? When, you know, right at the heart of the, the downturn and people thought I was crazy. It's like, you should be hanging out to your job, not quitting it. And I was like, but I need to quit my job because the only way I could access my 401k money. You know? gotcha. So, so gotcha. I, I cashed it out. Everybody thought I was crazy. Uh, you know, I paid the 10% penalty because I wasn't 59 and a half, paid the taxes. That's what people don't realize. So when you pull that money, you take, it's like a 40% hit. Right. You no. Know? And so, I had enough money to put down on three properties uh, as a down payment because I thought that's how you did it. You know, mm -hmm. you put your 25% down, get a mortgage from the bank. My wife was still working so I could get a mortgage. And, you know, fast forward six months, I'm out of money. I don't have a job. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, yeah, I could have planned that a little bit better. And right. uh, that's, I just started kind of thinking outside the box and, and determining how do I do this without tons of money and a W-2 paycheck. The bat right. So that's kind of my story. And, and we just kept buying and buying and buying. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to be the recipient of a good timed market, but I planned for that, you know, um, and right. I took advantage while, while it was, you know, there to be taken advantage of. And now we have just under a hundred tenants today. So okay. class C, nothing sexy, meat and potatoes, high cash flow, high cap rate, uh, low debt, mm -hmm. um, you know, so nothing sexy. I don't own the, the big sexy class A skyscraper. Right, right. Yeah. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Um, you said you said uh, type A or class A, um, you know, cap rates and all that stuff. Just talk a little bit about that for, for those that, that are, you know, trying to get into this game. What types of properties do you own? Do you own? Um, just kind of break it down to your, your average person and why do you own those type properties? Yeah. So, I mean, if you go A through D, you know, A would be new building in Beverly Hills, you know, gotcha. B would be one step below that. You know, uh, most multifamily people de define that by age and condition of the building. I define it differently. So A would be 
Greenwich. B would be Cromwell, Rocky Hill, you know, good suburban towns. Think of, you know, a cop and a school teacher would live there. The mm. C market, C as in cat, is where, where in Connecticut is the best market to be in in terms of cash flow. Not appreciation, but cash flow. Um, right. and, and that is, you know, think of in our area, New Britain, uh, Middletown, Vernon, East Hartford, Manchester, uh, parts of Bristol, things like that. Um, my typical tenant, you know, she works at Dunkin' Donuts. He works at Walmart. Together, they make $24 an hour. They can pay 9 to $9.50 a month for a two-bedroom, one-bath, cold flat, which means they pay all the utilities. Um, right. Good, hardworking people. Uh, and then, of course, there's class D as in dog. Uh, and that's, that's a good analogy. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> people get spreadsheet fever, right? You see, oh, my God, I can buy a six-family in the north end of Hartford for, you know, 210000 I'm going to make four grand a month. Not so fast, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, that's, that's my market. Um, and, and that's by design, by the way. So I've owned, I've never owned class A. It's just not the universe I occupy. Uh, but I've owned class B, some nice class Bs. And you know what I found? I'd rather deal with class C people than class B people, and certainly class A people. Um, mm. My tenants, I, I feel, are a little more genuine, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, but you know what? They're just happy to have a place to live because there's not enough of that housing in Connecticut. There's simply gotcha. not enough. So I have probably 30 inquiries a day if I have a vacancy. When you get to a class B, there's more of that housing and less customers for it, you know, demographically speaking. So, so when I had class B housing, I got just as many phone calls from tenants as the class C housing. They're just different mm -hmm. phone calls. You know, the class gotcha. B tenant is, you know, they're, they're, they're pickier. And the analogy I give is, uh, you know, if you go to Ruth Chris and get a $60 steak, well, it better be medium rare, right? <laughs> you go to Outback, it's 12 bucks, you know, and just give me more. You, you get a stick. Yeah, give me the A1, I'll be good. You know, so, uh, right. so I find the class C market, believe it or not, in my experience, is, is actually easier to deal with than class B or A. Um, less mm. nitpicky. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what I do. Just meat and potatoes stuff. But that's where the money is, right? Right, right. Do you, do you own any... Or do you have a desire to own any, or have you owned any uh, Class D? No. Uh, you know, I got a couple buildings in areas I would say are C minus, gotcha. you know, uh, maybe, but no. And, and, you know, it's, I've been tempted, you know, you, you see, you see the numbers. The prices, right? <laughs> oh, right. I mean, right. You know, it's a 14 right. cap, which, which kind of roughly translates into a return of your investment. Not quite, but yep, exactly. roughly. It's an indicator of the cash flow that that building will produce. Uh, right. uh, it's a multiplier of the net operating income. Uh, you don't get too technical, but, right. but it's a way to gauge the cash flow of an asset. So, uh, yeah, you look at the numbers, you think, oh, my gosh. You know, well, by that mm -hmm. thinking, we should just all go to Detroit and just, just be millionaires, right? You know, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> right, work out right, that way. Right. You know, so it's right. a different, it's a different uh, animal altogether in both. Yeah, it's a different experience. It really sure. is. Yeah. Uh, right. And I'm a tough landlord. Uh, I'm very fair. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I just had a lease signing prior to, to this podcast. Um, and my lease is 27 pages long. Um, and they initial probably, as a guess, 40 different times over those 27 pages. 
Mm. Um, you know, so it's my unofficial motto is if you want a friend, buy a puppy. You know, I'm not that guy. <laughs> um, that being said, I have amazing tenants and and I treat them as customers. But if they don't pay, then then there's legal consequences to the document that you signed. If you don't pay, you don't stay. Got yeah, you don't stay. And it's all month to month. I don't do anything but month to month rents. Uh, okay, so you don't do annual. Can can you can you uh, talk a little bit about that? Why why do you, why have you made that decision? Well, what, was you know, was there something that 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 led you to that decision? Oh yeah. Uh, you know what? Why? why <laughs> I assume so. How much so time we got there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so so here's the deal. You know, in Connecticut, Connecticut is a very tenant friendly state. It is what it is. It's, you know, we're not as bad as New York or Massachusetts or California or things like that. But 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 the law sides with the tenants. Thus, the need. Mm -hmm for a 27 page lease. Now, a 27 page lease, if I end up before a judge, I'm gonna be just smacked around a little bit. You know, mm. I get it. My lease is designed right. to avoid court rather than win in court, although I've never lost gotcha. in court, but you know. That's a good way to put it, I never thought about it like that. Yeah, mm. so, so the reason for month to month is, in, in Connecticut, the reality is if the tenant is gonna leave and in a class C environment, it tends to be a very transient demographic and demographic is income, you know, so mm -hmm. they, they move a lot. Listen, the cell phones change three times a year. You know, if I sign a lease, you know, six months later, you, you go to get a hold of them, the cell phone's no good, somebody else answers. Right. You know, you know they, right. they've changed it. They move a lot, mm -hmm. they change things a lot. That's just the way it is. So what I found was if I sign a one year lease, I can't tell you how many times I've got a text from a tenant, hey Ron, I'll be out Friday, I'm moving to Atlanta. You know, or I got a job in Groton, you know, they, and they're not bound by it. So even if they have eight months left on the lease, now, can I take them to court for the remainder of it? Absolutely. Will I? Of course right. not. There's two reasons I want. Number one, I'll never collect that money. Remember, she works at Dunkin' Donuts. He works mm. at Walmart. You know, they've got a kid. No court is going to give me more than a minuscule wage garnishment, and I got to go get that wage garnishment they're not going to give right. it they're gonna go get it and then they're going to switch right. jobs just to avoid it so it's not worth it and the other thing is even if you have eight months left on the lease no judge in the state of connecticut is going to give you more than two months because you're supposed mm. to mitigate your damages so the only one who's handcuffed by this one-year lease is me um right. the reality is this they're if they're a lousy tenant they're having friends over at 2 30 in the morning there's weed smell everywhere, it stinks, they're playing their music loud, but they pay their rent. Tough, you're stuck with them for a year. Even though they're a cancer in the building and you know everybody's moving because they're just creating havoc, but you can't kick them out because they pay their rent. So with gotcha. a month to month, goodbye. Yeah, we're done. Right. And, and I've had some tenants that I've just tripled their rent overnight, literally overnight. Just There's your 30 day mm. notice. Instead of $900 a month, now your rent's $2,700 a month. <laughs> time to go right welcome to the nfl yeah so um you know so that's very rare but about four years ago i made the decision that you know i don't want to say a power imbalance that's not fair uh but but it is what it is that i feel like on a month-to-month -month lease they can fire me at any time with a 60-day mm. notice uh, anytime, if I don't perform, I don't fix things and that, that if, if I don't do that, they can fire me and that gives them a sense mm. of power. However, the opposite is also true that, uh, if, if you're the type of tenant who 
contacts me about every little thing. I've got a squeaky cabinet. That's cool. You can do that. And I can service that level of request. I just can't do it for $850 a month. You know, Ritz Carlton service. I need Ritz Carlton rent. And that's exactly how I explain it to them. Um, Mm. So month to month uh, in class C markets in Connecticut are anybody who does differently, I think is crazy. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, and, and I'll be honest with you that that's something that I've been debating for uh, myself for quite some time. Um, you know, should I do uh, annual or should I do month to month as opposed to annual? Um, so got some thinking. Depends on your market. So, so if you're in the class A or B annual is probably mm. better because they move less, you know, they're, they're right. more stable in their job and their, their housing and they care more about, you know, the ramifications of non-performance uh, to their right. credit, you know, and judgment. Right. So uh, if I have class B or A, I'm probably going to go annual. You know, I don't, but if I did, I probably would. Yeah. Right. And do you manage all your properties yourself or do you have a property management company? Is, is it all you? Do you have well, I, employees? I often, joke that, I often joke that I have a team of three. There's me, myself, and I. Right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So uh, over a hundred doors, you said. Yeah. Uh, no, just under actually. So, uh, okay. yeah. Um, so, understand. I don't fix anything. I, I even if I knew how to, I'm far too lazy. Um, but I don't know how to fix anything. <laughs> I really don't. All my friends are like, dude, how do you do this? I can't fix anything. You know. So. Right. Um, so it's all about systems, right? So uh, everything I do is designed to minimize, I can't eliminate, minimize the touches with my tenants. Uh, everything down to the minute detail. So mm. uh, like I don't have any ceiling fans in any of my units. Why is that? Mm. Well, a ceiling fan, you know, doesn't get me more money. I don't rent it faster. They don't stay longer. So therefore, it's, it's, I get no benefit out of it. But when it breaks, I get a phone call. You know, gotcha. ah, I've already failed. Plus, if they're on Section 8 or anything like that and it doesn't work, I could probably fail that inspection. Same thing with garbage disposals. You know, you know, I don't get any more money. They don't stay longer. I don't rent it faster. So, therefore, I don't put it in or I take them out if they are in. Because where do you pull G.I. Joe's out of the garbage disposal? You know, phone <laughs> call. You know, right. how'd this get there? I don't know. You know, uh, it, I don't it was there before hot, I moved in. Yeah, I don't have any hot or cold, cold water faucets. Um, right. Uh, all stick shift style, no keys, all electronic. Um, I don't accept checks or money orders for rents, uh, because that's a nightmare. Um, Mm. so if you, if you run your business smartly, you can minimize your interactions. Um, uh, so I probably put, I mean, it depends, I suppose, but, uh, 15 hours a month into my business. Um, Mm. the one thing I don't do Cameron is I don't do any of the accounting. So I'm relieved gotcha. of that. I just right. don't know how. I'm, I'm really not that smart. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, I, yeah, I do everything. I sub everything out. Uh, everything is designed to minimize my touches. A maintenance uh, request uh, time for me is probably 15 seconds. That's it. So comes in, I address it. It's out. It's off my plate. Done. Then mm-hmm. from there, it just gets uh, relayed outwards. So, um, so yeah. Uh, my wife used to own a, a fairly large property management company out of Portland, Connecticut, called Revolution Properties. She recently uh, sold it to a friend of ours. Uh, she's still involved in the business, but uh, and she owned, not owned, uh, managed like 400 rental properties. Wow. Uh, 
so so between us we had a lot but uh right 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 but yeah she didn't have anything to do with the management of ours and i don't have anything to do with that so mm -hmm. it's uh yeah properly managed it doesn't have to be overwhelming right i mean i i think probably a lot of your listeners you know if, if they sat in a bar and they told their buddies oh i own some rental properties what's the first thing your buddies tell you oh i i wouldn't want to deal with the tenants change toilets at 2 30 a.m Mm, like, well, I don't know how to change the toilet, and I've never had to do it at two thirty in the morning. Right, yeah. right, right. So uh, you know, just say you run it like a business because it is a business. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like anything else? Yeah, absolutely. So do do you um do you only do buy and hold? Do you do any flips? Do you do, do any wholesaling? Uh, what, what's the, how's your business structured? Uh, so not too many flips. Uh, I'll probably do a flip. I don't know, once every 18 months, you know, but it has to be a home run uh, because if it is a home run, I'll stretch it out to a double. Um, I'm just, it's not what I do. You know, um, I tend, I, I would even say I'm probably not really good at it um, because the landlord in me always creeps out. So, you know, my wife will say, you know, Oh, where do you want to order the granite? And I'm like, granite. <laughs> okay, Rockefeller. Well, no, we're not putting granite in. She's like, this right. isn't a rental, Ron. You know, and you know, so, right. so you know, you can overdo a flip. Certainly, um, I tend to underdo it. So, gotcha. uh, but a uh, wholesaling, you know, again, maybe once every eighteen months, if something comes across my desk and it does, you know, I'll wholesale it just to make a quick five or seven thousand um, dollars. But no, my uh, my business model uh, that. Uh, coincides with my lifestyle goals are passive income. So I can gotcha. do what I want when I want for as long as I want. Gotcha. Cool. Um, tell us about the best or the worst deal that you've ever done. Hmm. So the worst deal I ever did was <laughs> a three family on Willow street in Meriden, Connecticut was gotcha. my first, I say purchase, but it wasn't. Okay. Uh, I was under contract. We were a day or two from closing. This is how little I knew. Before we closed, the, 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 uh, one of the units didn't have a toilet, so it wouldn't pass inspection. So I go to Home Depot, buy toilet, break into the place, install a toilet. You know, I didn't even know it yet. Well, this was right as the economy is crashing. The mortgage fell through. So here I am at like 11 o'clock at night on Willow Street in Meriden taking out the toilet that I put in because I was like, I didn't buy the house. And I, right. I had no idea the numbers. I just didn't know what I was doing. You know, I just mm. thought three units, I could buy it for, I forget what the price was, but you know, I didn't do any, you know, numbers crunching. I didn't, I couldn't tell you any what the metrics were. Mm. Um, so that was probably my worst experience. Uh, I'm very conservative. Uh, I'm, I'm far from a cowboy. Uh, I run numbers. I'm, I'm not a, uh, bye bye my gut guy. Mm. Uh, best deal. I mean, I can tell you a lot of, I've really been fortunate. Uh, I bought a seven unit in, uh, well, a couple times. I, I own three, seven families. I don't know why that is, but, uh, one of them in New Britain, you know, I, I pay one fifty nine nine for mm. seven unit, uh, wow. that had a fatal flaw. That's why it sat on the MLS for two and a half months. And this is only like three years ago. Anybody mm. could have bought it. But I, you know, uh, I solved the fatal flaw and I got them to hold the note uh, and nice. I gave them uh, $900 over asking price, but my offer expires in two hours, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> yeah. uh, Is that a tactic that you, that you kind of yeah, utilize? Yeah, I, 
Yeah, okay. you're not going to shop it. Yeah, you're not going to hold on to it. I need a decision mm. right now. Enough talky talk. Let's light this candle. Um, right. All my offers have uh, a ticking time bomb, so to speak. That it, mm. it self-destructs, and you know, um, yeah, I bought a, a two-family in Cromwell uh, one time for uh, two hundred and ten thousand dollars, which is way more than I normally would pay. Uh, mm. but it was a beautiful neighborhood in Cromwell. Uh, it was four bedroom house. Uh, but the owner was in Egypt. Uh, he couldn't get the deed power of attorney signed. Um, and so we had to go through that. But the reason I bought it, a cash flow, it cash flowed, but, uh, is that it had a, a ton of road frontage, like 190 mm. road frontage. It was huge. And I, my wife and I were like, well, this is an extra lot. And then extra lot in Cromwell goes for like $120,000, you know? Right. So right. I went through that process, which I'd never done before. And sure enough, I sold a lot for like $120,000. Um, so, you know, then I ended up selling the building for like two ninety, you know, and then I did that again in Middletown. I bought a building, a single family house, but it had two extra lots on the side, you know? So when it was all said and done, I, I did very well doing that. So I think the lesson is, you know, a landlord like me, bread and butter, nothing sexy. What ends up happening is if you start to think outside the box, there's a lot of ways to, to make money as a real estate investor. Um, whether it's master leases and you know, outside the box thinking that, right. that leads to a well-rounded career, but there's a lot of money to be made if you're willing to go for against sure, for sure. Right. So how are you financing um, your, your deals at this point in your career? You're, you're not working a, a full-time job outside of, you know, real estate. Um, so are banks loaning you money? Like, like how, how are you financing? So, deals? well, I'm not really buying anymore. My buying days, I'm okay. 53. I'm, I'm sort of on the downward trend of all that. I've been out of the workforce, you know, the W2 workforce for a number of years now. So my, my profession is landlord. Uh, in addition to CT Rhea behind me, I, I own that. Um, not, but that's fairly recent. So, uh, so financing is interesting. You know, one thing that your listeners should take away from this is it's much easier to buy big buildings than small buildings. And I'm a really good example of that. So, so if, if you ever bought a house, you know, to get that mortgage, you got to go down there with your W-2, your tax returns, your credit score, piles of paperwork, because what they're saying is, Cameron, how are, how are you going to pay us back if we loan you the money for this house? So I can't do that. I don't have a job. Imagine going to get your mortgage and the bank says, okay, where do you work? Oh, I don't have a job. Well, they'd laugh you out of the room. <laughs> well, that's, that's me. Right. I can't go get a mortgage on a single family home, a two family, a three family, or a four family because that's considered residential real estate. However, five units and above, I can get financing because they're not saying, Ron, how are you gonna pay us back? They're saying, Ron, how's the building gonna pay us back? So I become significantly less important. Um, so, so to answer your question, if I was buying these days, and back when I was doing my buying, 100% uh, of my offers were non-bank. I don't like banks. Uh, the problem with bank financing is that it's a paperwork nightmare, but more importantly, they want 25% down, you know, and you think, okay, on a $400,000 property, you're talking about a hundred thousand dollars. That's fine. The, the financing's easy. If you have the hundred grand on a commercial multifamily, the problem is how many times can you do that, you know, before you run out of money? So 
So at some point, if you want to be a landlord of any size, you need to embrace non-bank financing. And that's how the big boys do it. And it wasn't until I learned that, that my portfolio just grew by leaps and bounds. And it was actually the, the story that it was the owner of CT RIA, which I was a member of for years prior to buying it, was the one who, his name was Lou, for, for your listeners who, who know Lou and Joanne and Linda. So I bought my three properties. Uh, was out of money, out of a job, figured, all right, well, you know, go to CT RIA meeting. My career's over, but I've learned some landlord tricks maybe. And I walked in and Lou's like, hey, Ron, so how's it going out there? I'm like, went pretty good, Lou. You know, I kind of made hay with the money I had, but I'm out of money and don't have a job. So, you know, you know, and he's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, I can't get any more buildings. He was like, why not? He was well, I don't have any money. I don't have a job. You know, maybe you weren't listening, you know, and, and he was like, Oh, you're going to banks this whole time? I'm like, yeah. He goes, what the hell are you doing that for? I haven't been to a bank in 25 years. <laughs> and, and Joanne and Lou Brissette own hundreds of units right. in East West Hartford. And I'm like, well, you know, what do you mean? He's like, we well, don't go to a bank. You know, I'm like, yeah, I kind of call BS, you know? And so, mm. so anyway, so I, I, I went home to my wife, who's much smarter than I am. And I was like, listen, here's the deal. These guys at CT Rio are buying without banks but we didn't have enough money for the coaching program because at the time it was a lot of money. And if you wanted to bring your spouse, it was double the cost. So I, just, mm -hmm. I had enough money to, to send my wife. I was like, so here's the deal. Run, you go down, take the coaching program. We'll pay for you. You're smarter than me. So take the program, figure out what these guys are doing. Then come home, dumb it down to me, regurgitate it to me. And then I'll just go out there slay it, you know? And that's what we did, you know? So, so the best ways to do it are, in my opinion, there's a lot of ways to do it, but I think owner financing is one of the better ways to do it. Uh, properly structured, that's important. And I think of oft uh, misunderstood and not utilized nearly enough is a master lease uh, with or without an option, not a lease option, right. big difference. Lease options in the state of Connecticut are very dangerous. So mm. you should be very careful with those, but a master lease with an option uh, is a strategy that uh, billionaires use all the time. Um, so I apply it to smaller commercial multifamilies uh, and nobody does it, it's, it's, it's wildly effective. So about half the units uh, my wife and I own today, uh, we never went to a bank for. So we make an offer on a Monday, we're looking to close on Thursday, um, you know, as long as the lawyer can run the title search. Right. I care about so um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit, a little bit about that? Uh, the master lease with an option, as opposed to a lease option. You said that lease options are no good in Connecticut. Can you just uh, talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, and there's some conflicting legal theory on this. If you ask ten lawyers, five will say, "Yeah, you can't do them here." Five will say, "Well, I don't think that's how the law is meant to be," but but it is. So, mm -hmm. a lease option for a residential property. So, residential is defined as four units and under. Uh, a lease option for a residential property in the state of Connecticut by statute expires in 12 months. And, and so what some people did was to go ahead and just not put a date. Well, therefore, if no dates on the option, it expires in 18 months. You know, so, so you're taking a huge risk that the seller, if you acquire it, isn't going to say, hey, I don't care what this says. By statute, we're out of contract. Screw you. You know, so, right. so what a master lease is is, and the best example I can give you is, uh, and for your listeners, is the Empire State Building in New York City. So the Empire State Building in New York City is owned by, I don't know who owns it, but somebody owns that building or company or whatever. 
But what most people don't know is that it's actually under a master lease. So Harry Helmsley, which is Leona Helmsley's husband, who was the Donald Trump of his day, <laughs> is, is he acquired the master lease. And, and, that, and, that's, and that's investor Donald Trump, not President Donald Trump. Yeah, investor Donald Trump, <laughs> let's be clear. You know, um, very good uh, differentiation there. Um, so, so Harry Helmsley approached the owners of the Empire State Building, I think in 1961, I could have my dates wrong, and said, hey, I'll give you $2 million a year for the whole building. And the owner's like, two million bucks a year? We'll take it. For 149 years, Harry said. Uh, it's got to be long-term. You know, mm. so they signed a 149-year lease, master mm. lease, at $2 million a year. And don't quote me exactly on the dates. Um, so, so today, Harry's died 15 years ago or so. So today, the Harry Helmsley estate pays $2 million a year to rent out the entire building. Of course, they rent it out for $6 million a year. So they make $4 million a year for a building they don't even own. Um, so everybody wins, right? So they get $4 million a year cash flow with little money down. There wasn't a big money down. Most master leases aren't. And they're responsible for all repairs and maintenance. Leaky toilet, they got to fix it. Uh, empty unit, doesn't matter. They still have to pay the rent of $2 million a year. The owner is responsible for all, all CapEx in a master lease, typically. It could be anything you negotiate. But, you know, so, because they still own the building. They still get the tax benefits. They still get all the depreciation. So there's, there's massive, massive opportunity to that strategy that nobody does. And uh, I've got a student right now. I'm not going to give you a lot of detail because I haven't consummated it yet, but I had a conference with them yesterday um, for a four-family master lease where, and, and they're literally going to be, I had to email it out yesterday, so it might even be done right as we speak. I don't know. But just the, the crux of the deal is this. It's a four family, and they're moving out of state. They don't have any equity in the property. So, uh, or it's a five family. I forget. Um, I think it's a five family, actually. So uh, they're going to pay the owners because there's no equity. So if they sell it, they'll actually have to come to the table with a little bit of money with closing costs and realtor commission. So, so, but they're moving out of state. They don't want to be landlords anymore. So uh, she is giving them the $2,600 a month that uh, they want out of the place as a long-term master lease. Fully rented, it should bring in $4,800 a month. So they're going to make $2,200 a month for 20 years and they're putting five grand down. So it's no different, Cameron, than if I said to you, Cameron, give me $5, $5,000 right now, and I'll pay you $2,200 a month for the next 20 years. Would you do that deal? Sure, why not? I'd smack you around if you did. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so yeah. So, and, and now, now, separately, we attach an option to that. So that option mm -hmm. says, I'm making this number up, that, you know, I will buy this building. I have the option to buy this building from you for $395,000 any time in the next 20 years. It could be tomorrow, mm. it could be in 19 years, it could be never. Um, it gives me the option, but not the obligation to buy the building. And that's a separate document, the way we structure these things. So uh, and, nice. yeah, it's a unique strategy that isn't done in Connecticut too, too often, except by mm. my students. Nice, awesome. What do you wish that you knew when you first started out that you know now? Um, I wish I, I, but it sounds terrible. I've learned sadly 
if you're too nice in this business, you get beat up a little bit. So when I first started, you know, uh, it was, uh, you know, meet a tenant, you know, uh, he, he could move in next week. He had the money to move in. He just started a new job. Seems like a really good guy, you know, and that's when the problems start, you know, and I, I fell for that a couple of times. And, it, you know, so I, I learned quickly to not go by my gut. Um, because intuition can steer you wrong sometimes so yeah uh which is sad i wish it didn't have to be that way you know i, I wish i could yeah. be a nice but guy. it is what it is I, it is what it is yeah, yeah. it is what yeah. it is yeah. yeah yeah i'm i'm actually wrapping up a career right now with the uh with the state of connecticut um yeah. retiring uh with the uh, department of correction Worked for, there for 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 20 years and one thing that we learned in the academy is to be fir- fair firm and consistent yeah, you know, and 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 I've definitely uh, uh, brought that along into my uh, my landlording career, you know, um, and that uh, it it uh, it proves to be invaluable. You know, you, you gotta be fair, you gotta be firm, and you gotta be consistent. Yeah, consistent good with, good with advice. I, I like yeah. that. I'll, I'll have to steal that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, what advice would you give someone that that's starting out in this business as a landlord? Uh, start off now. Um, no regrets in my life, but I wish I started sooner. I didn't, I didn't buy my first property until I was 41, you mm. know, a 53. So, uh, I, I worked all my life, like everybody, right. Uh, had good jobs, had lousy jobs. Uh, the stress doesn't go away. Even when I had the good jobs, I had the same stresses. I just had more money, but I had the stress of what if I lose my job, right. you know, it's like the whole lifestyle goes away. So, uh, start early. That's my, my advice. Start early. Uh, mm. because time is a massive asset in real estate. So Huge. Uh, don't wait like I did. Get, get in the game. However you do that, read books, uh, whatever. Get mentorship, uh, go to conferences, do whatever. Get, go to meetups, you mm. know, things like that. Get in the game. Get around people that are in the business you want to get into because those connections will manifest themselves later on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now you said that you spend um, about 15 hours or so on, on your business. How, how do you like, I'm sure give or take, but like, how, how do you, how do you spend most of your time? I mean, so if you're spending like, you know, 15 or so hours on, on your business, like what else are you? <laughs> well, I, I wish I had an awesome answer. I, I should <laughs> come up with something pretty cool. Huh? Like oh, I, you know, I, I, I go eagle watching in the Himalayas. No, uh, I don't. Uh, I'm pretty boring. Uh, I like to just hang out with my wife and my, my, my three dogs. Uh, I do a lot of, not a lot, but I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, mixed martial arts. Nice. Not very well, by the way, uh, but I do it. Uh, and, and the logo you see behind me, uh, my partner and I uh, bought CT RIA, it's Connecticut Real Estate Investors Association. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I guess maybe almost, yeah, about a year and a half ago. So that takes a lot of my time. So time is filled up, uh, which I always said it never would be, but it is. (laughs) Mm, mm. So CT Ria, you, you bought CT Ria how long ago? Well, you know, that's, I, I want to say at the beginning of 2019, late, Mm. late 18, beginning of 19. So about a year and a half ago, give or take. Yeah. I, I, I was a member of CT Ria back in, maybe 2007 or so the good old days yeah yeah yep yep and and i you know i used to to, uh to attend the meetings and and all that um so now could you explain what is the benefit 
uh, to to uh, to see to CT Ria. Who should join? Why should they join? What does CT Ria have to offer? So on and so forth. Yeah, you know, without CT Ria, I'm not here. Uh, I and I, not, I agree. I'm, I'm in the same boat. It's not a plug. Uh, join, don't join. Membership is not very expensive. It's 165 dollars right. a year. That's right. it. Um, we have meetings once a month uh, in a non-COVID environment mm. uh, in Meriden, Connecticut. Um, and at a typical meeting, it varies. Uh, we have 200 people, 150 to 250 people. Uh, about half the time, we fly in a national expert on a particular subject. Uh, the other half of the time, we keep it local. Uh, I'll do a presentation. I think it's a great networking environment, mm -hmm. educational, if you choose to go that route. But uh, we're one of the largest RIAs, Real Estate Investors Associations. Uh, there's, there's probably 150 of them throughout the United States. Uh, we are one of the largest, actually. We're, I've heard we're the fifth largest uh, from the old owners. Um, bigger than New York, bigger than Boston. So uh, if you are in or want to be in Connecticut real estate, whether you want to do wholesaling, whether you want to be a flipper, whether you want to be a landlord, whether you want to be a syndicator, a hard money lender, anything like that, um, you absolutely need to join CTRIA. Uh, again, membership is incredibly inexpensive uh, and you get a lot for that. You get to go to the meetings for free. Uh, this year, we wanted to introduce before COVID hit, you know, some social components to it. Like uh, we wanted to do a foreclosure bus tour, you know, because I was going to rent like four buses and you know, charge enough money to, you know, cover the cost and then just go see some foreclosed houses that we could buy. Right. Uh, we wanted to uh, re-up the, the boat cruise down the Connecticut River, but of course COVID had I did that a few years back. Yeah, it was fun. I did it yeah. too, remember. Yeah. And uh, we also do workshops and seminars out of our training center in Weathersfield. So we have a 60-person training center in Weathersfield where we'll do little micro classes. You know, uh, we're going to be doing one on property management that'll be run by my wife. So you think I'm a tough landlord? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, things like that, like we've had uh, CPAs come in and talk about tax benefits, you know, for three hours on a particular subject, uh, asset protection attorneys, you know, things like that. So it's just a community of like-minded individuals looking for a better life, I guess, if I had to design a slogan. Right. So um, CT Ria is a great place for someone that's looking to get into real estate or someone that that's newer to real estate. Is it a place for, for, for the landlords that, that, uh, that are in your position that, that, that own multiple properties or they're flipping multiple properties a year, so on and so forth. Is, is it a place for them? I think it is, you know, so, so like you, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here that if you haven't been to a meeting in the years, it's probably because I think the same reason I stopped going after a while, you know, I'd go for like three years. I got a lot out of it. And you know what I realized was at some point I became the guy in the room that people looked up to. I'm like, I don't want to be in that room. You know, <laughs> I, I, that's, if you're the smartest guy in the room and I, and I wasn't the smartest, I just, you know, had a lot of units, but if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room, you know? So there came a point in time that I felt like I couldn't get any more out of it. So I stopped going and I, and I'm trying to change that you know, uh, by introducing, you know, a little more happening. And there's some big announcements coming. I can't really reveal it yet. But gotcha. yes, if you own a lot of units, you should be a part of C2A. And I'll tell you why. That a guy like me, who's, you know, medium size at best, small to medium, mm -hmm. is, you know, at C2Rio, all the vendors we have, my, my insurance guy comes from C2Rio. Then I can have anybody at my size, right? For the most part. 
my CPA from CT RIA, my closing attorney, CT RIA. So I actually have my vendors here. Uh, so I still get a lot of benefit granted. I own it, you know, but, but even if I didn't, I could utilize the connections there to better right. my business, uh, things like that. And, and I do want to offer more to the big guys. You know, I got some friends of mine on Facebook groups, uh, that have like 2000 rental units. Mm. Uh, they need to be a part of CTRIA and I need to right. make that attractive to them. Uh, and right. we're slowly growing that, that, that segment. Yeah. So absolutely. Nice. Come. Come join us. The water's fine. <laughs> nice. So what is next for you? you you've, you've got uh, plenty of units. Um, you know, that's relatively speaking, obviously. Um, you, you've, you've got a, a great prospering business in CTRIA. What's next for Ron? Uh, you know, I, just to continue what we're doing, uh, we have some amazing stuff coming at CTRIA. And again, I really can't reveal it, but it's going to occupy a lot of my time but I think it's going to add massive value to our community. So I'm right now on a professional level, I'm focused 90% uh, on CTRIA and implementing what we're going to be implementing for the betterment of not only the Connecticut real estate market, but I believe the national real estate market. Um, so that's super exciting. On a personal level, uh, you know, my wife and I, we have a, a we bought a class A RV, a big, big RV and, and, uh, you know, we spend a month or so. So we'll be spending most of the winter, at least a couple months uh, out west skiing plus down uh, in Texas. So that's the personal side of me and still hanging out with my wife and three dogs. And you know, <laughs> so, but yeah, that's probably a continuation of what I'm doing. I wouldn't change anything. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to come on this podcast. You've dropped a lot of gems. I'm sure that a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this podcast. I certainly appreciate that. Um, you have anything else that, that, that you want to, uh, to add before we, before we go? No, I just wanted to say thank you for having me. And I think it's kind of cool that you do this because, uh, you know, I think Connecticut real estate investors, uh, are, a, are a breed unto themselves. We have a unique market that if you work hard for a few years, you can radically alter the trajectory of your life. And, you know, I think it's kind of cool, Cameron, that you're a real estate that specializes in that. And, mm -hmm. and that in itself is a rare breed. And that's very valuable to an investor. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Good for you. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I, I, again, I definitely appreciate you coming on. Um, uh, I know your time is valuable and, and, and you, you decided to uh, give some value to, to my audience. And I certainly appreciate that. Um, so as for everybody else out there, thank you for your time. Make it a great day. Thanks guys.